0: We're living in this giant nation state where, you know, the government finds a reason for every problem needing a government solution, and it's all complete nonsense. So it's just hard to not point out the humor in that. Welcome to the Lions of Liberty podcast. Here's your host, your guy, your shining beacon of liberty, Mark Clare.
1: Welcome on back. You Liberty Lumpkins to the Lions of Liberty Podcast, your home for great conversations about the ideas of liberty. This is episode number two hundred and fourteen, which means you can find today's show notes featuring links to everything we discuss over at lionsofliberty.com/slash two fourteen. And boy, what a crazy and wild Libertarian Party convention we're coming off of. I'm sure you guys are still reeling from it. If you're anything like me and spent the day watching the coverage on C SPAN. And spoiler alert if you somehow haven't heard, but yes, indeed, the presumptive nominee all along, Gary Johnson, was named the Libertarian Party's presidential nominee for 2016. Now the conversation you're going to hear today took place a week or so before the Libertarian Party's convention, so we do touch on the candidates a bit, so you'll be hearing some conversation that acts as if the vote has not taken place because at the time it had not, and I'll have some brief thoughts on that after the conversation. But first, we're going to hear my conversation with today's guest. He is a stand-up comedian who makes regular appearances on Kennedy on Fox Business. He is also the host of the very, very entertaining and informative show, Part of the Problem. I am pleased to welcome in Mr. Dave Smith. Dave, are you ready to roar or what?
0: Oh, yeah, man. I've been roaring all day just preparing for this. (laughs) You host a show, too, so you roar all throughout the week in various forms. In my sleep, when recording a podcast, all the time.
1: Somehow I knew you'd be roaring just like me. And, you know, it's great to finally speak with you, by the way, because I have been listening to your show quite a bit. And as we talked about before the show, it's always kind of weird when you hop on a podcast with somebody who you've been listening to this whole time, because it's just like you're picking up where you left off. But uh, in reality, we never spoke before,
0: so we aren't really picking up from anywhere. (laughs) Yeah, it's a mutual feeling because I've listened to your show a whole bunch, too. So we both feel like we know each other, but we've never met. Yeah, I mean, we could be total
1: assholes for all we know. (laughs) yeah. Right. I mean, I do really enjoy your show. I mean, I really like your style because you come across as, as, dare I say it, a quote unquote normal dude. Now, obviously, none of us libertarians are considered normal dudes by most of the population. But, you know, just the, the style and how you speak really comes across as a normal dude who has really strong beliefs and you're able to speak about them in a way that isn't, dare I say, nerdy. But, you know, he always comes across as a very natural conversation, whether you're you're in the studio, whether you bring in a special guest. So I just want to commend you on that. And, and we'll talk about more about the show in a bit but first i kind of want to learn how you got here so how did all this start for you uh what first got you thinking about politics differently how did you become a libertarian
0: well thank you for saying that about the show i guess uh, for me it, it was in the contract uh, we signed before the episode so it was i, I said i will the do way. the show under one condition i want you to tell your listeners that i'm normal you really got to kiss my then, ass for about 30 <laughs> seconds and then we're good i almost hate because my instincts as a comedian are to not be hacky and not be generic But it's my story, my libertarian origin story started with the Ron Paul Giuliani moment. And Ron Paul, just like he did for so many of us, he just really intrigued me. And then the fact that he wouldn't back down to Giuliani really, really intrigued me. I loved the anti-war message. And he made me want to learn more about the economic argument that he was making as well. And then I just kind of got lost in the rabbit hole of reading libertarian literature. And I got into Tom Woods and Peter Schiff and Judge Napolitano. And then ultimately, I, a couple of years later, I ended up finding Murray Rothbard. And, you know, that was a game changer. I haven't looked back.
1: So would you consider yourself sort of a, uh, I don't know, a Rothbardian anarcho-capitalist in your beliefs? So, or do you even like to uh, have a label about that stuff?
0: You know, I guess labels can always be somewhat problematic. But yeah, I, a Rothbardian anarcho-capitalist sounds good to me.
1: So generally, you believe in a, a voluntary society then, one where we might have organizations, we might have... Forms of, uh, you know, regulation in a sense, but those forms would all be sort of done voluntarily, not through the coercive systems we have now. Would that sort of, you know, be a, a layman's way to accurately describe? I guess that the system you might uh, prefer.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's. Look, I think there's lots of services that human beings need to provide for other human beings, or that human beings need in order to survive. That we all want to work together. I've still never heard, since I've become an anarcho-capitalist, I've never heard a compelling argument over why we need to bring violence or threaten violence against peaceful people in order to achieve those goals.
1: And going back to Ron Paul there, I mean, in many ways, I mean, obviously, Ron Paul's beliefs have influenced me. And I've been reading Ron Paul's column since like 2000 but that moment that uh, Giuliani moment for me it did more than just change my beliefs because I was already kind of started down that road but it did really inspire me and inspire me to, to speak boldly and I think that's the thing that stands out the most about Ron Paul especially when he's on the stage with someone like Rudy Giuliani who's publicly shaming him and and telling him oh sir I've never heard this thing about you no know, terrorists coming back to to harm us because we killed their families that's ridiculous and and you need to you need really need to apologize about that and most politicians probably would actually take that moment and walk it back and apologize and say, okay, you know what? I-, I might have stepped over the line there, but Ron Paul didn't do that. Not only did he not do that, he doubled down and said, no, this is absurd. We've been killing people for years. Of course, we're going to see consequences through that. And that kind of uh, boldness is really what I-, I think inspired me to eventually speak out in different ways. First, as just a maniac posting Ron Paul videos on YouTube, annoying the hell out of everybody, but eventually to start linesofliberty.com with some uh, like-minded friends and-, and to start this show. And it's really been a, a roller coaster since then. But it really, sometimes it really takes that spark and and to see someone else be so inspired to speak out boldly to get you to do it as well. So did you have a kind of a similar experience with Ron Paul and inspiring you to get more uh, involved politically and to to speak about these things more?
0: Yeah, look, I was kind of on the anti-war side of things already, but I wasn't at all a libertarian. I didn't really know what libertarianism was at the time. I just knew that I was starting to believe that George W. Bush had led us into a horrible war for bad reasons. And so I was kind of on that side, but I wasn't familiar with libertarianism at all. But I mean, as you were mentioning, it was just such an incredible moment. And as things started to progress, I mean, there was no Ron Paul movement at all at that time, This is before really any of the momentum had started, and he didn't care. He was just like, look, I'm not backing down. I'm going to tell you people the position that I'm coming from, which, by the way, is backed up by the CIA's term blowback and is a logical position. And then the fact that he built this unapologetic truth-telling into a movement, it was just such a beautiful thing to watch. It was amazing. I mean, going into then following into the 2012 campaign when he had these you know, all these young people screaming, end the Fed and President Paul. It was just a uh, man. I mean, I miss it.
1: Yeah. And Dave, you really do um, try to incorporate your beliefs. Um, obviously, you do it in many ways by doing your show, but you also do sort of try to incorporate this into your comedy a little bit. So can you speak on that for a minute? First minute, I mean, were you already doing stand up comedy when you started to come into these beliefs or was there kind of a parallel track here?
0: No, I was already doing stand up comedy, and it just, I've become so obsessed with all this stuff, and this is really my passion. I mean, there's nothing I enjoy in life more than, you know, sitting at a bar and talking about libertarianism. So it just kind of started to creep in in a kind of organic way. I never sat down and said, okay, I'm going to start, you know, making sure that I become a political comedian or libertarianism is something I talk about. It's just, this is what I'm into. And of course, there's so much humor in this world. I mean, We're living in this giant nation state where, you know, the government finds a reason for every problem needing a government solution. And it's all complete nonsense. So it's just hard to not point out the humor in that
1: you know, a little known secret uh, is that I've actually done a little tiny bit of stand-up comedy out here in Los Angeles. And by a little bit, I mean twice. But one (laughs) thing I didn't really do or didn't really think about doing it, and maybe I would if, you know, if I got down the road a little bit and got a little more comfortable with it, but I was really hesitant to inject my politics into the comedy because, you know, so many people have these built-in biases that it's almost like if I even touch on something, I might just piss people off and and make them not want to actually hear the semi-funny stuff or the stuff I think is funny in the first place. So how do you approach? I mean, is it difficult to sort of strike a humorous chord with jokes from that libertarian point of view when you know that most of your audience is probably not really going to be lined up with this stuff?
0: Well, yes. It's about how you do it, though. I mean, like comedy is its own force. Funny is its own force. So you have to be coming at it from the point of this is what's funny. If you come at something and you want to make your point first – that's where you're going to get in trouble. You know, I I don't approach it from that angle. I approach it from what's ridiculous about this. The idea that we uh, say we have a debt ceiling and then we keep raising it every year. That's just inherently kind of a funny thing. So you approach it from that point of view and then you can kind of, you know, nudge people at your point. But yeah, you you have to, you know, it's like jujitsu. You have to find a way to kind of get people into what the funny idea is without beating them over the head with it.
1: And then hope that maybe that little seed that you planted can maybe perhaps get them thinking about things differently or they just laugh and that's fine because that's really what you're there to do. So you don't have any jokes where the punchline is and that's why we need a voluntary society. But <laughs> I mean, You're not trying to smack them over the head with
0: it, huh? No, I haven't figured that one out yet.
1: Do you ever get people that, you know, come up to you after the show or during the show, maybe hecklers that start to get that feeling that you you are libertarian and they, you know, start to uh, get some opinion about that? Do you ever get confronted about your politics?
0: Sure. But that's, you know, we live in a crazy world now where, particularly on the left, the social justice warriors, you know, if... If they take something as a microaggression, they're ready to let you know. But I mean, like what we were just talking about with that Ron Paul moment, if he's willing to stand up against Giuliani and the entire establishment and willing to get booed out of a, uh, a presidential debate, that's, you know, it's no problem for me to face a heckler every now and then.
1: There you go. Again, that just comes back to that inspiration because look, it, no matter what forum you're in, whether it's a podcast, whether it's a, you know, a presidential debate, whether it's a comedy club, you know, if you put your beliefs out there in any way, shape or form, you have to understand that you're risking, not even risking, almost guaranteeing that you're going to get scorn from people because so many people, including libertarians, have such strong beliefs that they can often have knee jerk reactions to hearing anything that just runs counter to it. And I'm sure, uh, you know, a comedy club where people are boozing it up and or whatever is probably a, uh, if anything, more of a a place where that can can foster
0: pretty quickly. (laughs) Sure. Yeah, absolutely.
1: So, I mean, overall, would you say that the comedy has been like a pretty useful tool uh, to sort of advance your your ideas about liberty? I mean, have have you come upon people that have actually been influenced by your stand up in any way? Or is it more the kind of thing where, you know, it might spark a conversation later on at 2 a.m. or something like that?
0: There's some of that. There's some of sparking later conversations. And what I've been able to do is because, you know, I established myself a little bit as a stand up comedian. And then people who know me from the comedy world and know me from other comedy podcasts and stuff like that, they'll check out my political show, Part of the Problem. And then they can kind of, they're like, oh, you know, I, I saw you do stand up or I heard you this. And then they can, when they come to the podcast, they can hear like a more long form, you know, thought out what my real anarchist philosophy is.
1: I don't want to put you on the spot too much, but do you have an example of maybe like a joke that is sort of libertarian based that has gone over well or that has sparked some kind of conversation like that or, or just a kind of a general line you might take on this?
0: Sure. Well, I used to do a joke about, and this is when um, there was a lot of like last year and the year before there was uh, police brutality, well, not that that's gone anywhere, but with the stuff in Ferguson and the Eric Gardner situation, which was here in New York where I lived, there was a lot of protests from the left Uh, against the police. And I used to poke fun at them. What the joke was based around was one friend who told me that the cops work for us. And that's why this is so out of control. And I had a bit about the idea of the cops working for you. And I, I used to talk about how the logic is, you know, well, my tax dollars pay for their salary, so they work for me. And I would say, you know, you don't have a choice whether or not you pay taxes, you're forced to. So that's like if someone mugged you, And then you were like, oh, all right, I guess that guy works for me. (laughs) And the bit was kind of about this. And I mean, really, that was probably the closest I ever found to really inserting an anarcho-capitalist kind of moral dynamic in there. But I was able to kind of hide behind the punchline of it. And I would give an example of being mugged and then being like, oh, looks like I just uh, hired a new employee. I didn't even know we had a position available. And (laughs) Kind of build around it, so that was probably the closest I was able to come.
1: You can even go farther. Like, I mean, okay, if you think that the government, uh, you know, workers are your employees, if you think the cops are your employees, you know, try telling a cop to you know go get you an ice cream cone or something. Yeah,
0: well, like I that. had I had a line like that. I said, yeah, let's test this using the scientific method. Go out and uh, boss some cops around. Come <laughs> yeah, back, that works that. Out. tell me how it worked.
1: See, that's a great example, though. I mean, that's a great example of of bringing up an issue, an issue that is uh, sort of nonpartisan in a way. I mean, I think people of all political persuasions might be horrified by some of the things they saw in Baltimore or or horrified by the death of Eric Garner, and you're sort of just pointing out something that is patently true. I mean, they're taking your money, but you're not really putting a political label on it. You're not saying, you know, go read Human Action when you get home. You know, you're really just getting people thinking and talking and really laughing about something because, you know, I think, as you pointed out, Humor is just a great way to open up to people, to show people you're not an enemy. You know, you're not coming in to uh, shout at them. You're just, you know, you're trying to have fun. You have some beliefs. You want to get them out there. But at the end of the day, we're here to have a good time.
0: Yeah. And I think, you know, one of the things that we can do, I mean, obviously, our philosophy of like libertarian anarchism, I think, is the ultimate consistent position of, you know, not bringing violence against peaceful people. But depending on what one of the things that's cool about our position is that if you are talking to a group of people on the left, you can talk about police brutality and things like that, the wars, the war on drugs. And if you're talking to a group on the right, you can talk about Obamacare. And you can do this without sacrificing an ounce of integrity because you believe all the things that you're saying, but you can kind of at least maybe open people up by talking to them about issues that might be a little less threatening to them.
1: Now, what about your, uh, I want to talk about these appearances you've been doing on Kennedy. When did that stuff come about? Because Fox Business, I'd say, of of all the cable outlets is easily the most, uh, I guess, libertarian friendly, if if any organization it would be said to be. They hosted the Sossel Libertarian Party debate. They have Kennedy, who's pretty, seems to lean libertarian at least. And they got guys like you, Judge Napolitano. How did all that come about? Did you kind of get connected with that show more for your comedy or more really for your libertarian beliefs? How did that all work out?
0: Well, it started with um, comedy stuff because I, uh, first I, I, um, I got booked on Red Eye, which is just like a late-night comedy show right, on right. Fox News, which is run by a, a stand-up comedian, very funny stand-up comedian, Tom Shalhoub. And so I, I was booked on there, and then I guess the Kennedy people heard of me, and then they started using me. And, and once I got on that show, they started using me regularly. And I've also done like uh, the Greg Gutfeld show – and uh, Maria Bertiramo's show on Fox Business. So there's a lot of people who they'll use a comedian, and because I'm a more politically leaning comedian, they like me, but Kennedy is like a true libertarian. And then, right, yeah, I guess, you know, there's a lot of free market leaning people in the Fox Business channel. So I don't know if full-blown libertarians, but they do have Kennedy. And of course, like you said, the great Judge Napolitano. So yeah, they're probably the closest thing we've got to a libertarian network
1: were you on with judge napolitano recently did i see that or
0: actually just yesterday well this yesterday from when we're recording this but yeah uh kennedy was uh under the weather and judge napolitano filled in hosting for her which was uh, a great thrill for me i've actually become friends with the judge we've gone out to lunch a couple times which has been really cool and he is a just a brilliant guy and a really wonderful person and like a real hero to me.
1: It honestly still blows my mind to this day that someone as openly libertarian as Judge Napolitano is like allowed to have a job on major cable news. Like it, it just kind of blows my mind because he's so unabashed. I mean, he has so many books and videos out there where he openly lays out his beliefs. So it's not like he's a, a secret libertarian that is working his way into the system. But I, I mean, I, you know, I guess they don't see him as a threat or, you know, people at Fox Business aren't just aren't really as concerned about maybe maybe. maybe uh, trampling liberty ideas, as you might think. Maybe they really are. (laughs) Do think about ratings at business and what's best for that? Because uh, as far as I'm concerned, I mean, even if you're not a libertarian, Judge Napolitano is such a a great speaker and and so knowledgeable on all the issues that they have him on to talk about.
0: Yeah, look, I've had the exact same feeling you do about like, I can't believe they keep this guy around. I do feel like sometimes they try to relegate him to just kind of you know, random issues about the constitutionality of some little case that's going on here. And look, I mean, to be completely honest, when they did give him his own show, I think he did get a little out of their control, and they were like, "Oh, ho, ho, all right, judge, <laughs> yeah, you know. let's
1: just temper this back a little." Yeah, bit. Uh, how know, about we uh, stick to segments about the constitution?
0: But right. look, that Freedom Watch uh, was the greatest show that's ever been on mainstream Either. media ever i mean judge napolitano was getting up there going you know look stossel's great i love what he does and um he'll have a great segment on why we shouldn't raise the minimum wage and that's awesome but judge napolitano was getting on there giving what if speeches you know what if the president had the right to assassinate american citizens without charges <laughs> right. i mean that gets you off your feet
1: yeah stossel's kind of like a maybe like a starter kit like get your training wheels and then napolitano is like you're hardly like you're ready to go now
0: Yeah. And Sazel's like, here's the pragmatic argument for why a libertarian society works better. And Judge Napolitano is like, give me liberty or give me (laughs) debt.
1: So have you been enjoying these appearances on Kennedy? Do you think you've had any sort of influence on, you know, some of the other guests that come on? Or is it, I mean, it's obviously already a fairly friendly environment, at least when it comes to cable news for someone with your sort of slant on things.
0: Well, it's somewhat friendly until there's, like, an ISIS attack or something like that, and then every guest is a CIA member. Or, you know, the last uh, show I was on— um,
1: Colonel Jeffrey Jeffrey's on to tell us why ISIS is going to kill us.
0: Yeah, and what's funny is a lot of times backstage, these guys will be a lot more honest than they are— uh, out in the camera when the cameras come on. But, you know, John Bolton was on the last episode, so I'm sitting with him backstage. And, you know, I've actually, uh, I'll tell you, okay, really quick story.
1: I feel like I would have like permanent chills on my spine sitting next to him.
0: Oh, yeah, I did too. You want to talk about chills. Okay, so this is the first time I ever did Red Eye. Like I had been booked on Red Eye and then Kennedy used me once and then the Greg Gutfeld show used me. So I'd been in the building a few times. I'd done a few shows, but they bring me in and I noticed, I was like, man, there's a lot of security here this time, like more than usual. And I go in and they had us in this green room and then they send you into the other room to go right before you're going on. And what was happening was Bill O'Reilly was taping live right as Red Eye was recording. And they're in adjacent studios, and I go in there, and Dick Cheney is just sitting like three feet from <laughs> me. And I swear to God, like what you said, I really had chills. I just sat there, with, like just getting chills the whole time. Dick Cheney has the energy that you would think Dick Cheney has.
1: It's like he just walked into the room with Darth Vader.
0: I mean, I'm not even or the excited. Emperor, maybe
1: more accurately.
0: I made a couple jokes while we were just all sitting there, like waiting around, and literally everyone in the room was laughing except Dick Cheney, who just sits there cold faced.
1: Just sits there going, rah, rah, rah.
0: it was so intimidating.
1: Wow. I don't know if I'd be able to come back after a traumatizing experience like that, just <laughs> yeah, being around tough. the uh, embodiment of political evil,
0: essentially. But overall man I love doing it and I love I love kind of going there and I mean it's helpful to like build my career and build my brand but I like at least you know being one more voice for liberty and they all like me when I'm making fun of Hillary Clinton or talking about free markets and then when I start saying that the war on terror is completely fraudulent some of them are like huh but ah, put on no. the brakes there Paul. Yeah <laughs> Tone back the
1: crazy a little bit. So, what inspired you to, you know, this wasn't enough for you making these appearances and, uh, you know, doing stand up yet. You finally had to take the reins of your own deal and start part of the problem. So, what inspired you to do that and why don't you just tell people kind of what the show's focused on and the approach you try to take?
0: Okay. Well, I mean, it really, it almost started just as my own psychology. Like, I just needed to rant and get this off my chest. So, it started just as kind of being my outlet. And then as I've been doing these media appearances and stuff like that, and more you know, podcasts like this and uh, like the Tom Wood Show and Jason Stapleton program, and then you know, I started getting more and more listeners. And um, more or less, it's just I talk about current events, I talk about philosophy, different things that are on my mind. Like you said, or kind of alluded to earlier, I try to break it down from kind of a, a non-academic, just regular guy point of view. And I have some great guests on. Just recently, we had uh, Adam Kokesh. I've had Gene Epstein, I had Scott Horton on. Next episode, we have Julie Borowski. So I'll have different guests, different libertarians who I like, and we just talk about what's going on in the world. I just kind of conversational style and just talk about, you know, There's never, especially with this crazy election, there's never a shortage of things to talk about.
1: That's got a Horton interview. I just listened to that last week. That was awesome. And he's I have had him on the show before as well. And he's just I don't know how he fits the entire of knowledge of all foreign policy, not just U.S. foreign policy, but he knows every little military and terrorist action that has taken place on the globe like in the last 20 years. It's just phenomenal. You ask him one question and you're going to get, you know, a 30 year history. It's just amazing.
0: It is unlike anyone I've ever talked to or met before in my life. If any of you are interested, go listen to the episode of Part of the Problem with Scott Horton on it. Just so you know, going into that, I sent him no notes of what I wanted to talk about whatsoever. (laughs) He's just like, what do you want to talk about? And I was like, well, you know, the war on terror." He's like, we're good. And he (laughs) has everything right at the front of his brain. It's incredible. There's like no better person there's no one i recommend more highly if you want to talk about foreign policy these evil evil wars that our country is involved in that we are forced to pay for that guy is just he's the guy
1: He certainly is the guy when it comes to talking foreign policy. And Dave, you and I are going to talk a little bit more about foreign policy. We're going to talk a little bit more about the current crazy election season that we're in the middle of in just a moment. But first, I need to tell everyone out there about our great sponsors at Health Excellence Select. You know, I'm a freelancer and I purchased my own health insurance and I was hit by some serious sticker shock after the implementation of Obamacare my premiums and deductibles were skyrocketing. And as someone who keeps myself pretty healthy, I knew that I was getting a raw deal for a product I simply didn't want. This caused me to seek an alternative and I found an amazing alternative in the form of health sharing, a killer concept where healthy individuals agree to share their medical costs. That's right, it's a voluntary free market system for paying for your health care that also, thanks to an exemption, covers the Obamacare mandate. Our friends at Health Excellence Select have kicked it up a notch by creating a full service package to handle all of your health care needs. Trust me, I'm not just a proponent of health sharing. I'm also a client. This has been one of the greatest things I've ever done to leave the Obamacare system in favor of what our friends at Health Excellence Select are doing. To learn more, head over to lionsofliberty.com health. And don't hesitate to give my man Jeff Cantor a call at 440 283 six684 Four, nine, be sure to mention Lions of Liberty. And unfortunately, with um, two candidates for president coming up, and I don't know, I guess Donald Trump, it's arguable if he'll send us to more wars. Uh, I think with Hillary, it's not arguable at all. We have evidence. But I mean, do you have any thoughts about obviously as a libertarian, you're not a supporter of either of those people. I mean, do you have anyone you think might be a better or worse scenario? Or are you just trying to, to stay as removed from this situation as possible? Obviously, I'm sure your comedy will touch on it a lot.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, there's plenty of comedy to touch on both because Donald Trump It's almost Trump too is, easy. I mean, I mean, Donald Trump is like kind of this buffoonish character who's just winging it and is figuring out what his answer is going to be as you're asking him his question. And Hillary Clinton is not a human being. So, like, the, the comedy just kind of writes itself. But, no, I mean, I don't know. As, I think they both completely disqualify themselves. I mean, I guess there's something you could say there's something positive about the fact that Trump exposes some things in the system. He'll at least criticize Hillary Clinton for her failed foreign policy. I mean, Hillary Clinton has supported every single war of my lifetime. She's as much of a war hawk as you can be.
1: Enthusiastically,
0: I might add. Yes. And with an evil sociopathic delight, if you look at some of these tapes, and I I mean, do a little research. If you go back and look at there's audio tapes of Hillary Clinton laughing about getting a child rapist off. She also laughs about Gaddafi's death like a couple days after he died. We when came, the man, we saw he died. And the, <laughs> and, the, <laughs> like the, and, and the man was beaten to death and sodomized by like a gang of people. The idea that anyone, whether you thought he was a good guy or needed to be taken out or not, the idea that you would find this funny, I mean, she's just a disgusting human being. But look, Donald Trump, getting these huge crowds of people, and I hate to agree with left-wing people on everything, but there is a lot of hate in the crowds that Donald Trump is bringing out. And when he starts getting them out and he's telling these made-up historical myths about pigs blood being used to kill muslim people and everybody's chanting and loving it i mean that's pretty terrifying as well and
1: it's almost like he's just trying to prove to himself that he can say literally absolutely anything and not only will he not lose support but he will gain it because he continues to seemingly gain support everywhere he goes which is uh frightening
0: yeah very very frightening and you know he has no deep rooted philosophy at all so i'm not convinced that he would be any more peaceful Than we've already been. I mean, like you said, Hillary is a guarantee for more war, but Trump is a huge question mark. And I'll tell you, there's something very dangerous about someone who can lead a mob the way Trump can. You know, Hillary Clinton, at least the one silver lining with Hillary Clinton is she has absolutely no charisma and she can't fool anyone. So at least you can see through her nonsense. Donald Trump seems to be able to rally up the masses, and that can be very dangerous.
1: And despite how different and crazy this election cycle has been, I mean, at the end of the day, it seems like we're still going to end with what we always have, where one side might not love the person they've put up. But at the end of the day, I think most of these Bernie people are going to end up rallying around Hillary because they're going to say, well, you know, if nothing else, we can't have Donald Trump. And then all the Republicans are even these never Trump people. I guarantee 90 percent of these people are going to go but we can't have Hillary, so we'll just have to suck it up and vote for Trump. I mean, it's like everyone has to default back to this position of relying on mommy and daddy in the Democrat Republican party because they're so scared of, you know, of the other one. And it's just absurd. And, and they're still too afraid to actually think, Hey, there's another option out there. There are many other options, actually. Obviously, there's one we'd like better. So, I mean, do you think the Libertarian party has a chance to finally kind of pull away at least, or at least chip away at some of that addiction to the two party system?
0: You know, I got to say, if Gary Johnson's the nominee, I really don't think we have much of a chance.
1: Which is interesting because the main argument of Gary Johnson supporters that I've seen is that we needed to be Gary Johnson because he is the only one with the chance to expand the movement. So it's, why do you take that opposite view?
0: Because they're so backward. They don't understand. It's like the same mentality that thought uh, Rand Paul was going to do better than his father did. Well, if you just moderate the message a little bit and just don't go too crazy and too pure libertarian, then we could really make some noise happen. And look what happened to him. Look, Gary Johnson – it's a real problem that the more you see of him, whether it's in those Stossel debates or any other time you see it, he does not have a true understanding of what the libertarian philosophy is. I know there's this interview that's fairly famous amongst hardcore libertarians that was, I think, back in 2012, 2013, that I've never been able to get over, where he didn't know who Murray Rothbard was. Not only that he's never read any of this stuff, but he confessed to not knowing who he was. And when there's questions like, you know, forcing people to make wedding cakes or the government being able to take weapons away from mentally disturbed people, you can tell over and over again, the the guy hasn't read enough. Like he needs to do his homework and he's not inspiring. He's very apologetic for the message of liberty. I don't see that guy having a chance, having a chance at really spreading the message, unfortunately.
1: Sure. I mean, yeah, he's got this whole resume that's touted. I'm a governor. I've been a governor twice, a Republican governor. But if there's any you know election cycle where that could actually harm you, it's this one. It's the one where Bernie Sanders has you know achieved huge amounts of popularity. You know, maybe that's a bad example because he's he is in theory establishment. He's been in Congress for 30 years, but he's seen as anti-establishment, and that's the important thing. Donald Trump is seen as bucking the system, as, as anti-establishment. So is it really a, a benefit to have a guy in there who's a not really. Sp- The libertarian philosophy. So then the only real argument for him is that he can get X amount of votes or or what have you. And then on the other end, he's actually even in a realpolitik view. If you look at what's happening this year, that doesn't necessarily mean anything anyway. So what are you left with at the end of the day? So, I mean, I guess we have similar views on this one, but I mean, is there any one of the candidates that you've seen that you think can do a better job on that end? Or are you just kind of, you know, are you looking at the field, I guess, (laughs) over Johnson?
0: Well, look, of the libertarian. The Libertarian Party field, I think Austin Peterson to me was the guy who has the best shot. I mean, I've, like I've met Austin. I've had hours long conversations with Austin. We disagree on a lot of issues, but the guy knows the philosophy. He's read his stuff. I think he is uh, young. He's passionate and he's unapologetic. He meets all of those basic criteria for me. So if he gets the nomination, I could throw my support behind him. He'll get my vote. And maybe he can inspire... Look, just going back to what we were saying about the Ron Paul Giuliani moment, that's what we're looking for here, okay? If Ron Paul couldn't win in 2012... Odds are a libertarian isn't going to win the White House this year. But what they could theoretically do in this year where both the candidates have such high negatives is maybe spread the message, you know, maybe spark a few more people like me and you. And uh, that could maybe help things going forward. But, you know, I can't as we're talking about all of this, I just can't stop thinking in my head how much of this blame has to fall on the shoulders of Rand Paul. I mean, he had such an opportunity, and that guy has read the stuff. He knows the message. He does understand the libertarian philosophy, and he just—I mean, if you remember the last day before the Iowa caucus, when he finally, finally, finally brought his father out on the campaign trail and started saying things like the revolution continued, he drew a huge crowd of thousands and thousands of young people. He could have been doing that the entire campaign. He could have been the real outsider voice— He had a golden opportunity that he blew.
1: Sure. And even if he didn't win because he was being really bold, again, just like his dad inspired us with his boldness, Rand Paul, if one thing he wasn't, that's bold. And maybe it's just his personality. I mean, you know, not everybody's going to have the same personality as their father. So, I mean, I don't want him to be his dad, but he really seemed like every move was based on, you no, know, what are people going to think? How's the GOP establishment going to think? How is the average GOP voter going to think? Not just actually, you know, spouting beliefs.
0: I don't buy the argument that he just didn't have the personality for it or that he couldn't pull off being an inspirational, philosophical messenger of libertarianism. I mean, go look at his filibuster on drone strikes. Go look at the first speech he gave when he won the Senate. You can look at the speech he gave when he first announced he was running for president. The guy can get people out of their chairs and onto their feet. Like you said, he made a strategic decision that this is how he was going to, you know, bring the libertarian and the mainstream message together. And it was all a huge disaster.
1: Couldn't have been more of a flop. And, uh, you know, I, I really think that even if he, he did do more of a, a Ron Pauly in campaign and didn't win, because I don't think he would have won either way, no matter what strategy he chose, at least at that point, you might have had like a really fired up base that could then maybe transfer their enthusiasm and support over to a maybe a non-Gary Johnson libertarian candidate, whereas now it feels like the movement's very sort of deflated and scattered and it not really sure what to do. Some people just want to get Gary Johnson out there because it's easy and he'll maybe get more votes and other people are just, you know, maybe supporting one of the candidates. But nobody seems really focused and fired up. And I, I mean, maybe I'm just speaking in broad brushes here. I know there are a lot of passionate people out there, including us, but it really seems that the chance to focus the movement a little bit was really dropped by Rand Paul.
0: Yeah, I agree with that assessment. I don't think he would have won, just like Bernie doesn't have much of a chance of winning, but he would have gotten, we would have had a seat at the table of conversation in this big political theater.
1: Yeah, and that's a good point because look at the seat that Bernie is going to have. He's going to show up at this convention with a ton of delegates. He's going to have a lot of influence of the platform. He's going to get a chance to speak. And these are all things I think Rand Paul could have really had had he done things differently. I don't think he would have won again either way, but he really could have been more of a coalition movement builder than. Uh, what he's been and I, I still I'm still glad the guy's a senator. I think he's uh the best senator, but I don't know if I'm enthused about any other, you know, Rand Paul presidential campaigns uh, going forward unless uh, he just has a drastic change of of how he approaches this stuff.
0: No, I agree with you. I think what he is a great senator. He's probably got the best voting record in the history of the Senate. So I don't mean to disparage the guy, but I hope he stays there and does that. It's just that he was the heir to the Ron Paul movement. and He had this unbelievable opportunity. And from my perspective, he really blew it.
1: All right, Dave. Well, despite what Rand Paul or other politicians are doing, I know you and I are going to keep doing what we're doing. And that's speaking about our beliefs in our various formats. So before I let you go, why don't you just tell everyone again how they can find part of the problem. And you know, feel free to plug anything else you got coming up.
0: Yeah. Part of the problem, it's on iTunes. Uh, If you want to listen to it, if you want to go to gasdigitalnetwork.com, that's the network that I'm on. So you can go see the show there as well. Aside from that, Comic Dave Smith on Twitter. I'll be in LA the first week of June. And then I'm going on a little mini tour in July. So I'll be in uh, Nashville, DC, a few other areas. But yeah, you can check out my website, Comic Dave Smith for all the dates. But yeah, thanks so much for having me on, Mark.
1: Sure thing, Dave. It's been a blast. Guys, Dave Smith, part of the problem. Be sure to check it out, of course, after you catch up on your lines of liberty. Take care, (laughs) Dave. Thanks. All right, guys. I hope you enjoyed my discussion with comedian and great libertarian Mr. Dave Smith, I had a blast speaking to him. And as we kind of talked about at the end there, he was talking about Gary Johnson and how he wasn't too thrilled with the idea of him being the representative of the Libertarian Party. Well, guess what? We do now know that Gary Johnson will indeed be that party's representative in 2016. Now, I'm not going to speak about this for too long because we're going to have a whole show dedicated to all the goings on of this past weekend's Libertarian Convention. We're hoping to have a couple guests on the show who were actually at the convention And once again, that'll be coming to you this coming Wednesday. But in the meantime, I just want to give my very brief thoughts on the nomination of Gary Johnson and his running mate, Mr. William Weld. Now, it's been no secret that I've been somewhat critical of Gary Johnson. I've attempted to get him on this program uh, through various channels. I- I've reached the highest levels of the Gary Johnson campaign, but was unable to get him on the show. Now, I've made a lot of jokes about not supporting him because he hadn't come on the show, and those are indeed jokes. Like, I realize Gary Johnson is uh, is kind of a busier man in some ways than many of the other candidates. He's going on CNN. He's going on the Joe Rogan Show, which gets something like 500,000 downloads a month. And I understand that there are bigger outlets than Lions of Liberty, and I'm very tongue-in-cheek when I criticize him for that. But uh, in a way, I mean, it is a valid criticism that he has gone on no libertarian media whatsoever. I mean, uh, it's not like he's been on the Tom Woods show. It's not like he's been on the Jason Stapleton program. Uh, It's not like he's really spoken to libertarians at all, even if it's not in those formats. Even sort of just the way he speaks about government, about liberty, or the way he doesn't speak about liberty. And I guess that's really my biggest issue with Gary Johnson as a spokesman for the libertarian party, for the party that is supposed to be about liberty. Is Gary Johnson a possibly a better presidential candidate than Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton? Absolutely. But what is the point of a libertarian party? What is the point of a third party if not to present a different way? Now, my issue with Gary Johnson really is, is really that he doesn't speak about individual liberty. He doesn't speak about individual rights. He says that libertarianism is really just being, well, fiscally conservative and socially liberal liberal. That's that's his words. That's the line he uses. And I I think that's a very dangerous um, sort of platform to put out there, to say what we're about, because what that really says is that libertarians are just centrists. We just sort of sit in the middle of whatever Republicans and Democrats are doing, and maybe we take some of the best of what they're they're offering out there, and we kind of coalesce it, because that's all we are. We're moderates. We're reasonable. (laughs) Well, I I I would like to think we're reasonable. I would like to think libertarians do have the most reasonable ideas, but they're not better ideas because they fit into a a predisposed paradigm, a predisposed Democrat-Republican paradigm. That's that's not why libertarian ideas are better. And I actually want to take a moment out now to highlight one of our listeners who posted a comment in the Lions of Liberty forum. I'm not going to read all of it. It was a very long rant, and that is not a criticism because I go on long rants myself. I do it on the show all the time. But Matthew Gregg posted this comment in the Lions of Liberty Forum, and it really summed up uh, a lot of ha- about what I feel about Gary Johnson and the message that his candidacy sends to people about what libertarianism is. And here's what he said. He said, once upon a time, a liberal was someone who stood for liberty. Not anymore. Once upon a time, a Democrat was someone who stood for limited government and wanted to amplify the voice of the people. Not anymore. Once upon a time, a Republican was someone who stood for principle and sought to limit government's influence in the lives of the citizen." Not anymore. Once upon a time, a libertarian was a principled defender of liberty. A stalwart who climbed that mountain of liberty planted his flag at the top and said, I will not be moved. Once upon a time, a libertarian was someone who embraced the principles of limited government, tolerance, peace, individualism, and freed markets. Because he believed he had no right to control the lives of others. Because he left the two major parties when they moved on and refused to represent him. Because he believed in the power of liberty. Because he believed all men are created equal and endowed with certain unalienable rights because he is willing to stand for what's right no matter who is standing with him not anymore Now, those are the words of Matthew Gregg, once again, who posted that in the Lions of Liberty Forum. For those who do not know, that is our private Facebook group. You can join that by searching Lions of Liberty Forum in your Facebook search bar, or you can, of course, also find a link to that in the show notes for today's show, again, which you can find over at lionsofliberty.com slash 214. I invite you to come and join the conversation. We've had plenty of discussion about the Libertarian Party Convention, about the nomination of Gary Johnson and William Weld. And you know that no matter how I might feel about the delegate's choice for the Libertarian Party's nominee, I'm going to keep fighting for what I believe in right here twice a week, Monday and Friday, when I host the Lions of Liberty podcast. And of course, you can also find John Odermatt's Felony Friday every single Friday. Please, guys, if you like the show, if you enjoy the program, share it with your friends. Go subscribe on iTunes, subscribe on Stitcher Radio. You can even find us on Google Play now. And please, please, please go leave us a five-star rating and a great review in those platforms that will really help us grow this show. Until this Wednesday, we will have our roundtable discussion about all the goings-on this past weekend at the Libertarian Party's convention. Stay tuned. Until then, folks, live long and live free.